0: Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow.
1: right up the proverbial wazoo.
0: And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. I'm real jazzed to be here. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 60s, but before we do that... It's time to go bonkers as I invite you to dance with me into the quizzy rascal. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, God. The score is currently nineteen eighteen to Chris, so can Minty pull it back? When Mega Man defeats a boss, he, A, acquires their power. A. Well, I think the point has to go to Chris. Oh, with the titch of a jimmy and the marsh of a marsh. He (laughs) has... Oh. Pull the head oh. by two points now. Twenty eighteen to Chris. Well done.
2: Oh, our carefully fabricated neck and neck race. <laughs> oh.
0: So, what have we been playing this week? Minty.
2: So, a couple of things. I guess my uh, my quote unquote proper video game that I've been chugging through this week has been Dragon Quest Eleven. Echoes of an elusive age. Nice title. It's so good. I'm having such a lovely time. For all its um, generic tropes, you start off as an orphan, silent protagonist who's out to figure out his place in the world and why this uh, celestial burden has been placed upon him. Which then devolves into a great calamitous event at the end of Act 1 and then you're rebuilding your party because you've all been scattered to the end of the earth. It's a comforting and very reassuring game in the sense that it's just so well made and Square Enix are so good at what they do. It really reassures you that these are people at the top of their craft. Have you played any of the um, the two D mode, Minty? It's not quite as seamless as I was led to believe.
1: Yeah, you have to do it at a chapter point, don't you? Like at the start of a chunk kind of thing. Yeah.
2: So if you if you want to go into two D, you have to go back to your conquest of Octogenia, which you might have already done, and then be halfway to Arboria. The prevailing opinion is do the whole game in three D because it's a treat, and then mop up the post game stuff in two D.
0: That's a very nice idea, isn't oh, it? Oh, that's, that's yeah, really nice, yeah.
2: And then also, I've been playing a lot of uh, escape room games on my phone because that's kind of the, the closest to video gaming that Mrs. Minty gets. So as she's away in America for the foreseeable, as we get our visa sorted, I've, uh, I've been playing through um, Adventure Escape Mysteries by Haiku Games to, uh, to just sort of remind me of uh, those lovely times that we spent together as I expectedly await her return.
1: Lovely. What have you been playing this week, Chris? I haven't played any more Link's Awakening. I want to get back to that, but I haven't had any big pockets of time this week. And even though, like Minty said before, it's, it's not a long game, but it's a game that I'd like to be able to spend a couple hours at a time because it does have a real special atmosphere to it. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to kind of absorb that properly. So I've put that to one side until I've got like a bit more of a chunk, uh, you know, of free time to play it. And instead, I've been mopping up like some of the post-game in Untitled Goose Game. Oh, excellent. Which has been really fun because once you finish it, it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's a manageable interconnected world. And the, the postgame objectives, a lot of them are really clever in kind of making you start to think more laterally. So you might think, okay, well, how does this item from the first area, how can I use it in the third area? You know, it's, it's really smart. It's kind of, it's you know, we said before, it's a very whimsical game. And it's it's been really satisfying to play that for kind of 20, 30-minute chunks just to do a couple objectives and then leave it again. Mm. The one other thing I played this week, which I was whinging about on Twitter the last couple of days that you may have seen Oh yeah is uh, I finally picked up the Sega Mega Drive Classic Collection uh, because I I had some credit at at CX in town and went to pick it up and thought yeah you know it's, it's 20 odd pounds that's not too bad to have on the shelf and have these games to finally play And the collection, which I've been recommending through this podcast for quite a while to to both of you. I know you picked it up at some point, Jonathan. Yeah, I did. I did. (laughs) It's um, it's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only word for it. It's disgusting. There is so much input lag, which, you know, for some people, that's not a big deal. But I've played these games so much that, you know, you press jump in, say, the first Sonic game. And it feels like an almost half second delay. And it it ruins almost all titles that I played in it. And that's, that's ignoring other things, like when you play it in handheld mode, the pixels don't scale properly one-to-one, so they, they feel like clumpy and weird. There's like audio blips in some games. There's, there's strange like rippling artifacts present when you scroll in certain games. It's just, it's a hugely disappointing package. Yeah, it's really poor. Yeah, by far the worst mm. way to currently enjoy these games. Mm. So if anyone wants to play Mega Drive games, Go and pirate them. You've got my blessing. (laughs) Yeah. Do do whatever you need to. Hack any console you have. Just go to town. Because if Sega can't be bothered to actually (laughs) sort this stuff out, I I can't be bothered to give them any more money.
2: Yeah. Eat the rich. (laughs)
1: Let's start a class war with our podcast. Oh, no.
2: (laughs) You have nothing to lose but your chains.
1: What about you Jonathan what you played?
0: I picked up Ori and the Blind Forest on the Switch now that it is a non-Xbox exclusive and had an absolutely wonderful time with it. It's just incredible, it's such a beautiful gaming experience. For a start just the opening sort of prologue scene made me cry i was in tears in the first 10 minutes it was ridiculous and it's nuts that in like the last six months i've played probably my two favorite metroidvania games outside of well metroid is that hollow knight and now ori yeah yeah and ori is a much much smaller game in but then hollow knight is was absurdly big (laughs) so with ori i blasted through the main game in about eight hours something like that just under eight hours But it was, yeah, just such a wonderful experience from start to finish. I mentioned the other week about Rayman Legends and how Mm. there was quite a significant change of tone in that game as there was from the original Rayman game. And the developers of Ori cited the original Rayman as like a direct reference for the game. And it it definitely has that atmosphere to it. It's got these sort of beautiful hand-painted backdrops and beautiful moody musical score and a lot more sort of cerebral platforming sections Mm. with a real sort of puzzle element to it as well. It does feel like a spiritual successor to the original Rayman. I mean, as a Metroidvania game goes, it also had a lot of things that I wasn't expecting within fairly sort of familiar setups like obviously as you go through you unlock various abilities that help you explore more of the world that's you know obviously part of it but whilst it starts out with you unlocking things like uh, double jump and more powerful attacks and things like that you start to unlock mechanics that at first seem fairly basic movement abilities Mm. but then when you actually get to grips with them you start to realize the full potential of them and it's really quite incredible and you start to through these abilities you start to move and manipulate your way around this world with almost as much sort of ease as something like mario odyssey oh wow and we we're talking about that the other week there's like a grab mechanic and it's like i thought at first it was just if an enemy fired something at you you could just use your grab ability to reflect that projectile back to them but then i sort of realized that if i jump an enemy shoots at me and i miss it then I can grab onto that projectile to fly myself up into the air and then maybe, you know, combine that with something else being shot at me from the other side of the screen and start to link these together traversing these like, huge spaces via just fireballs and falling rocks and other things and then you combine that with like another movement mechanic and all of a sudden you're in a secret area and it's, I mean, it's just it was just such a joy to, to navigate and especially when like a Minty saw me playing it and there was a couple of bits where i'd be like i reckon i can get up there and it was like i didn't know what was up there or why i wanted to get up there but i was like, <laughs> yeah. "I reckon i can get up there and i think oh maybe if i could just do this and that and linking these different things together these different movements and stuff and you pull it off and my god you feel like an absolute boss
1: a beautiful boss though
0: because it's yeah. just it's
1: balletic and it's oh it's wonderful i mean that is the mario odyssey effect isn't it the the classic that, yeah that i reckon there's something up there and, and the, the rewards, not only is just making the jump in the first place, because it's, it's so much fun mm. to work out that string of, of moves to get there. Yeah. But in, in well-designed games like Mario, the, there is always something up there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, if, if this game does, does similar, you know, that puts it in very high regard. If, you know, regardless of mm. every, everything else, it, it may or may not
2: do. Whenever you were playing it, I was sort of wrapped on my Switch in handheld modes, being like, oh, I've got to defeat this dragon in Dragon Quest. And then I would just sort of, I would have you out the corner of my uh, periphery being like, right, I think I can do this. (laughs) And immediately my attention would be shifted to the TV and you would just pull off this ridiculous woodland parkour (laughs) shit. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's, that's delicious. That's a really satisfying culmination of little movement set pieces that just oh it it works really well it was Mm. really gorgeous i don't know how far you got when i first came over but that bit where you were escaping the rising water oh yeah i don't think i've seen better water effects in a game Mm. at the same time it was it was a great deluge but it was brush strokes of paint it was wowy. it was beautiful it was really really lovely to look at
0: yeah i think it's the best looking 2d game on the switch if not just the best looking game on the Switch and a lot and you know that's a that's a combination of art design as well as you know technical capability but it's mm. just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous experience from start to finish, and I'm gutted that the sequel that's going to be coming out next year is inevitably going to be an <laughs> Xbox exclusive because I'm not going to buy an Xbox One, but I will consider it for that game Uh, (laughs) so shall we move on to the rankings oh yes oh yes please starting this week we have my game oh do we so my game this week is a game that featured a few weeks ago on Minty's list What? It's another Pokemon game. What? (laughs) It's the 3DS's Pokemon X. Oh, okay, great. Now, Minty spoke really nicely and comprehensively about the game breaking new ground with its foray into full 3D and the Parisian world of the Kalos region. And it, you know, yeah, it was a landmark step for the series, Uh, really made the world of Pokemon feel considerably more immersive and lived in and alive than the core series had before you mentioned some really nice experiences that you had with the game and i wanted to touch on uh, just a few moments in the games that you know really sort of stood out to me and uh, the main thing is that it is the first story in a mainline pokemon game that i can remember since the original games obviously more, most of the games are following a pretty central premise of there's some evil team trying to take over the world by some means all the while you're, you know, going to the gym. And that that's in this game as well. But there was also this sort of side storyline featuring this 3000-year-old king incarnate in the form of this mysterious giant called AZ and he had his own sort of personal quest. He was a very mysterious figure, and so sort of the more you un- uncovered about him, you found out about his own sort of personal quest to try and revive his most precious Pokemon. And it, I was I was genuinely moved by by that story. It was it was really really lovely. Now, aside from breaking into a new dimension, there were also several new additions to the series as well in terms of gameplay mechanics to keep it fresh and. balance things out a little and minty spoke about the new fairy type and i was pretty just not fussed about it as well as minty mentioned the the introduction of the new fairy type to try and balance out dragon i mean it was it felt like it was adding more convolution to the game rather than anything else i mean i think minty's said before about an idea that you know could have actually provided the balance with what they had already
2: they just needed to rebalance ice types
0: yeah that would have been a lot cleaner a lot simpler or if they weren't going to do that call it the light type to match the dark type because oh, it's
2: yeah i know right yeah
0: i know and then it wouldn't make it so that a slurpuff could muff off a rayquaza <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> wow <laughs> one for the pokey fans <laughs> There were a rather restrained only 72 new Pokemon added in this game, as opposed to the usual like I don't know, 100 or 104 or whoever, whatever. But I mean, to be honest, there weren't many that would have actually made it onto my master list of non-bullshit Pokemon, <laughs> of which there are only about 300. Oh, yeah, yeah. The starters weren't brilliant, although Greninja was a very, very cool final form for the water starter. I mean, the main legendaries weren't the most exciting. I I liked my Xerneas. It had a sort of Studio Ghibli-esque Spirit of the Forest vibe to it, but without the disturbingly human face of the character in Princess Mononoke. But Zygarde, some sort of cobra slug that convolutedly had different percentages of existence, it was all incredibly garbled, unnecessary but, was it worth it when you got your head around it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. Other non-bullshit Pokémon from this generation include Malamar, the Lovecraftian squidly abomination that you had to evolve from its inverted previous form by levelling it up whilst holding the console upside down, which was very cool. That
2: was cool, yes, yes.
0: Barbaracle was awesome. <laughs> yes! I love Barbaracle! Yes! <laughs> And Dragalgy was very cool as well. Another great one. That's that's
2: probably all the good ones, yeah.
0: It really is. Minty had already spoken about the haunted sword and shield that is Aegislash, a design that I admittedly initially scoffed at when it was first revealed, as I absolutely hate Pokemon that are modelled on actual objects. And this is a generation that included key ring Pokemon and a meringue Pokemon. (laughs)
2: yeah yeah
0: why not but aegislash was an absolute boss it's obviously definitely better than ice cream wind chime and sandcastle pokemon but what i would have liked to have seen is some variety in the types of sword and shield that comprise the pokemon as that would actually indicate that the Pokemon itself was the spirit haunting the apparatus rather than something that inexplicably resembles a sword and shield so perfectly itself. So I think that would have been quite nice. Now, in terms of gameplay mechanics, Mega Evolution was brilliant. It was a very clever way of introducing new design elements and kind of served as a fourth stage evolution for a whole bunch of classic Pokemon, but without having to worry about balancing them out with all of the existing ones because we know that trying to balance out all that many Pokemon make the team at Game Freak cry. Some of the Mega Revolutions were brilliant like Alakazam, Gyarados, Houndoom. Oh yeah. Some barely changed at all like Agron, Gardevoir and Venusaur and some were absolute trench like Kangaskhan (laughs) or (laughs) Gengar for some reason turning into Darmanitan's psychopathic cousin from the country. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> It was nice to see a whole new swathe of Mega Revolutions appear in Amiga Ruby and Alpha Sapphire 2, with Mega Steelix being awesome, Mega Beedrill, Mega Pidgeot, all very Mega cool. Mega Pidgeot, yes. I know.
2: Lovely design.
0: But again, some absolute bunk like Mega Slowbro. <laughs> but with the Mega Revolution designs, it's also where we started to see Game Freak's obsessive need to give every new evolution or region-specific version of an existing Pokemon hair of some kind, with Mega Glalie sprouting a big beard because that's what it would do. Oh yeah,
2: that's annoying a jaw. And then Dreadful. you've got
0: hairy geodudes and hairy diglets, and oh, just and now you've got wheezing with his like moustache and top hat. <laughs> it also started a new trend in the series, which was to give some big new mechanic to a new generation to keep the battle system fresh. And this obviously frayed into Z Moves, uh, which was... Uh, and now, obviously, looks to continue with Giganta Twatting, or whatever it's called, in Sword and Shield. And I just... Uh, I don't want to... I mean, I'm still going to buy it, but... Uh, <sighs> uh, but, back to Pokemon X. Really good game. Lovely story. Lovely evolution of the world. A handful of cool new Pokemon. And some nice flowers. So, next, we have... Minty, can you please tell us about your 60th favourite video game?
2: If if we ever get to the point where we have listeners, (laughs) this might be a fairly contentious game because I've seen a lot of backlash surrounding it over the past couple of months for uh, a couple of reasons that I can see. Is it Michael Jackson's (laughs) Moonwater? No. But yes, it's got a lot of backlash for a couple of reasons that I can see. Uh, One being it's... Three vaguely different versions of the same storyline split into three full price games. And also you can marry your cousin. Oh, what's this then? I mean, it it raises a lot of questions as to the uh, the value of a game, considering each of the three strands of the storyline and easily run for about 30 hours each. And I'm not touching that cousin marrying thing because it completely (laughs) passed me by for some reason. Didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) In the honesty of a Christian morning where Fire Emblem Three Houses exists within three different factions to ally with and even more distinct storylines to follow on top of that, which split into so many different playthroughs, I can understand that people might feel shortchanged that Fire Emblem Fates was released as two physical games and a third digital release for quite the hefty stack of gooseberries. (laughs) I will concede that it is basically the same game with not enough to warrant buying thrice, But I did get the special edition that had Birthright, Conquest, and Revelation on the same game card, because I'm a sucker for anything that comes with a commemorative coin bundled (laughs) with it. And if that's how Fire Emblem Fates was released three timelines on one cart as standard then perhaps people might be a little bit more charitable in their criticisms of the game and instead of a dreadful capitalism standpoint they'll probably just lean into the incest angle (laughs) (laughs) i mean the the special edition had all three games on one cart it could be done easily could be done the differences between each game were a little more substantial than just cosmetic, with Corrin, the main character, siding with either his adoptive family in Conquest, his birth family that his adoptive family kidnapped him from in Birthright, or him basically uh, going on a gap year and trying to find himself in Revelation. <laughs> from what I can remember, each one arrives at the same conclusion, that the, the king of the Nor Empire needs to be stopped... And while there is little change in gameplay or locations in each strand of game, each one has a very distinct story because each game sort of takes you through a different country or empire or district or whatever you want to call it. You do have a lot of different characters to hear about. There's a lot more character development in each one to make each story a standalone experience. And each one is underpinned by a very very strong if slightly simplistic fire emblem framework one of the one of the big things that did did stand out to me was uh, that weapon durability was gone so you could just buy you could buy a sword and that would be it for the rest of the game you have that sword but yeah for me a good fire emblem game is half medieval strategy And half dating sim, considering the benefits you get for making sure your soldiers are all good friends, especially if they get so close to each other that they start bumping uglies and birthing new units, thanks to the flow of time being quicker in parallel dimensions. The actors glorify daycare slash combat academies. I mean, (laughs) saying it out loud, it does, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, that. That's dumb.
0: I mean, to be fair, if that's the mechanic, then it's no surprise that people are banging their cousins, is it?
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) At the end of the day, Fire Emblem Fates is a solid game, but I think I'm more charitable in my opinion of it because I paid like 80 quid for three similar stories, three lots of characters to pair off with each other, and a big-ass coin (laughs) instead of £120 for the same game three times. It's all a matter of perspective. And having a massive coin... And I perspect that you're right.
0: Oh, <laughs> hey, nice.
2: <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Finally, but not feastly, it is Chris. <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? It's Chris.
2: Oh boy.
1: Can you please tell us what your sixtieth favourite video game is, please? Of course I can. Imagine Dynasty Warriors. Yes. Except you actually care about the characters. Yes. Because they're not based on an they're not based on an epic novel about the warring factions of feudal China. <laughs> Uh, it's Hyrule Warriors (laughs) (laughs) so I I bought Hyrule Warriors uh, for the Wii U originally on a bit of a whim like, I hadn't really heard that much about it. I popped into a supermarket on day of release to, to probably, like, pick up a sandwich or something and then saw it in the chart and thought, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll give it a go. It's probably quite interesting. I don't have, like, a, a massive connection to Zelda, like I've mentioned before, but, you know, this looks pretty fun. I've played Warriors games in the past that were all right. And then I went home and essentially played it over a few weeks for, like, 40-odd hours. That's probably the most amount of time you've put into any Zelda game, isn't it? Yeah, easily. Pretty much, yeah. And, I mean, in that time, I, I barely scratched the surface of the game. Like, it's, it's huge. Mm. And then a few years later, when it was announced they were gonna port Horror Warriors to the 3DS under the Legends moniker, I thought, well, I really enjoyed it in the Wii U and surely handheld, it's gonna be even even more addictive. So yeah, bought that one, played it for probably 50 hours this time. And with the amount of added content they put in, I scratched even less of the surface of the game. <laughs> then again, fast forward a couple years, for some reason it's announced yet again for the Switch and under the definitive edition. And this time I played it for probably 60 or 70 hours. And for the amount of stuff that's in this game now, I may as well not even press start on the title screen for my <laughs> progress in the grand scheme of things was so, so tiny and, and, and minuscule. Granular. Yeah, exactly. It, it is a huge game. Basically, you choose a character from the extended Zelda canon in, in you know each stage, as it were. You biff the noses of a thousand plus enemies from various Zelda games. You give a big boss a bit of a hiding and then you just repeat. And it's a game that has a very, very simple core gameplay loop. Like as, as anyone who's played a Warriors game probably knows, there's, there's kind of light tactical elements, but generally it's just a big old fight, win the day, off you go and, and repeat. But, you know, as my 150 collective hours attest, <laughs> it is it is very, very addictive and very, very enjoyable. Yeah. And I mean, when, when I talked about uh, Euro Truck last week is, you know, I talked about how open world games sometimes make me a bit anxious because they have this kind of sprawling to-do list, it's all laid out in front of you. Uh, and it, it never feels like you, you can get through it. Whereas with, with Horror Warriors, by virtue of kind of each battle or map being independently fun and enjoyable and rewarding and kind of self-contained in a way, every stage is fun. and And by extension, I never felt kind of stressed out about the wider game, no matter how large it was, because I knew that each chunk I was gonna play, whether it was just like a battle or a few battles, they were fun enough and felt like I'd kind of achieved something in, within that, that I didn't feel like there was still this massive laundry list behind me that I had to tick off. I'd say that the story mode in Horror Warriors that kind of pairs together all sorts of Zelda timelines and games and things, which again, who knows what's going on because I haven't played half of them. But <laughs> it's, it's probably, it's as big as most average size sort of AAA games. So the story mode will run you a good chunk of time. But what you get after that is, or what you start playing after that is the adventure mode with, with its adventure maps that is just humongous yeah um, where you're basically the original map it was the full map from Zelda 1 wasn't it where it was broken up into squares yeah and and each square was its own kind of unique battle each square would have like several different objectives within it each square might have kind of like the the hidden what they called sculptures uh, and other bits and pieces and it was just ridiculous how big it was and then, in addition, you, you got all these extra maps that had come with the 3DS version originally and the, and the DLC packs that had come originally with the um, the Wii U title, all of which were of a similar size, but then referenced other games like The Wind Waker or Link's Awakening and different things like that. and. You could easily play Horror Warriors exclusively for an entire console generation, and still end up with characters left to level up or weapon sets left to find and, and max out. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. implausible how big this game is, how kind of generous it is yeah. with things to do. <laughs> but I mean, none of this would matter if the if the core fighting wasn't fun. Yeah, but it's it's brilliant. It's, really, it's cracking, it's, it's fantastic. And I mean, it, it starts off quite simple. Your moveset quickly begins to kind of expand as you find kind of different items that will essentially level your character up. And it, it makes it so that the, the combos, despite being kind of slick and visually exciting, they still have a surprising amount of customization and, and the, you end up with quite a lot of nuance to kind of the attack strings themselves and how you can kind of cancel out of certain combos to transition into other moves and stuff like that and when you include also kind of the added sort of tactical options that came with the 3ds version onwards it means fighting these wild scale battles they feel really large but also really manageable because you're leaping between characters you're, you're kind of clearing out a whole area before you jump to the other side of the map using the little um like owl totems as I've said, I'm, I'm not really the right person to talk about how it pays reverence to previous entries in the franchise, but seeing as I haven't really dented many games outside of Link's Awakening and, and Breath of the Wild. But from what I read and, and from what you guys said at the time, it's I think it's similar to how Ubisoft really nailed the tone of, of um, you know the Mushroom Kingdom denizens in Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. Yeah. The collection of Omega Force and Team Ninja in, in collaboration with Nintendo. They really knocked it out of the park for this one, that it, it feels like a Zelda game, despite the fact it's in a very different genre. And I think, you know, the question we had a few weeks ago about taking an established franchise and putting it into something else, this is probably a really good example that didn't even occur to me at the time when we talked about that. Yeah. Of, you know, taking the core systems of Zelda, essentially, and placing it in a a totally different framework. And yet it's still feeling like it kind of ticked the boxes that you're meant to have in a Hyrulean adventure. Yeah. It's a a really rich, forever rewarding game. And uh, I think it offers like a, a genuine scaling challenge as well. Because you, you can pick it off in very easy modes if you just want to blast through these fights. You can delve really deep into the adventure stuff if you want to really push yourself. And it just never felt like it grew stale. You know, I didn't finish it because it's an insane slate of content. But <laughs> I played an awful lot for me for a game that is, you know, on paper quite simple. And it's, it's just a great game. It's a really, really good game. And, and the Switch version is by far the way that you should play it if you're going to pick it up today.
0: Yeah, I remember when you got *Horror Warriors Legends on the 3DS and said to me that I should get that, yeah. and I did, and I had a great time. But there was always part of me that thought, oh, you know, I'd love to be able to play this with like better graphics yeah. and more stuff going on and etc. And when they announced Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for the Switch, I said, I hope that they are going to release a *Horror Warriors DX or Deluxe or something at some point, and I was i was so thrilled when they announced <laughs> that they were doing it everything in it from all of the versions with all of the graphics and i can play it in handheld i was just i was so so excited and like you i have played it for a absolute ton of hours and <laughs> haven't scratched the surface no. just quickly looked it up now on howlongtobeat.com they say for all three versions of the game that the main story is around about so 14 15 hours yeah. to beat to do the completionist, which be 100% it, for hyrule warriors legends they reckon it is about 105 hours yeah for the original hyrule warriors about 205 hours <laughs> and for the definitive edition on the switch
1: 343 hours jesus christ so,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it's bananas isn't it absolutely bananas it's
0: ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous i, I i'm sure there are people out there who have 100 percented it. yeah of course the really nice thing about it and one of the reasons why I bought it digitally as opposed to physical edition was because I knew that I'd always come back to it Yeah. and it's not like Xenoblade Chronicles where you put <laughs> it down and you pick it up a week later and you've forgotten all of the mechanics you can get dive straight back into yeah. it there's always going to be something more to do and there's, oh, it's just the most wonderful celebration of Zelda as much as it is just a fantastic game yeah
2: yeah, I can't think of many many other games where story mode is basically the tutorial.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right.
2: <laughs> story mode sort of went through Link's story, then through Galandor's story, Lana's Sia's story. And that gave you sort of the the building blocks of how to play these characters. And then it thrusts you into like eight, ten different maps where you would play as every other character mm. it's an extraordinary game in terms of its scope and it's uh, it really is a remarkable achievement it's a fantastic game
0: so there we have it Whoop. another three Whoop. games first of all we had pokemon 10 <laughs> and then <laughs>
1: Every time. Oh, God, never doesn't, matter it, doesn't matter how many times you do it, it's always funny. Then we had... Fire Emblem Fates. Before, finally... Hyrule Warriors
0: Definitive Edition. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, leave us a review, share it on social media, tell your friends... If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook. If you search for Our Three Cents, you can chat with us there about the latest episodes. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in an upcoming episode. Or you can just 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 say hello, if you want. Or you can reach out to us individually. That's your other option. You can find me on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn.
1: You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges.
2: Clement underscore Boob. And
0: please do join us next week for a very special, spooky day. Halloween so-